All right. Well, cool. Welcome back. Uh, right. Welcome to the Firm Foundation podcast. And I have John Nichols on, my good buddy at the office. Um, absolute legend. Played football at CSU. Um, Want to share a little bit about you and your journey? Uh, yeah, I'll give a quick background. Um, John Nichols, obviously with Coldwell Banker Realty. Uh, been licensed going on three years now. As far as a real estate background, um, my family has been buying rental properties since probably middle school age. So we got a good amount of those lined up. So been part of that process, rehabs, things like that. Um, you know, just just really rocking along. Uh, as Jacob said, played football at CSU. What a lot of people may not know, um, at the time my head coach was Sonny Lubick, had the privilege even though we got stomped on, had the privilege of playing with uh, or against USC's national championship team. So the Reggie Bush, Lindell White, Matt Leinhart lineup uh, played against uh, Big Ben. If you're a Steelers fan, which you, I can't you find sacked, a Steelers. You sacked Big Ben a few times, didn't you? I wish. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, think that day he, I think that day he ran for about 200 on us. He ran for more than oh. he threw, unfortunately. Um, let's see, played against Deshaun Jackson at one point when he was at Cal, which was also Marshawn Lynch. And who was the quarterback? Aaron Rodgers, if I recall correctly. So during that time, good I think so. Yeah. 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 We got, they actually, we got they, they just some, had the, the privilege of playing you. That's what it we was. We got beat by some teams that we probably deserve to get beat by, but we also beat the buffs a handful of times. And back then yes. we were making it to to bowl games so nice yes sir yes um sir. okay cool well we're gonna jump into a little bit like just some common questions you and i talked about that people have when looking at you know the market and moving into denver um so do we want to dive down that hole well first i got a question for you so uh why don't you tell the people something about you that they may not know <clears throat> Something about me that they may not know. Uh, well, before this, yeah, before this, my previous job was with the Air Force Academy. I was contracted out there and I was a travel logistics coordinator. So basically you took their 26 teams that they had and I was responsible for 13 of those. And I did all the travel arrangements for those teams, got them from point A to point B. Super cool gig. And I tell you what, like driving onto the Air Force Academy every day and having that as your office it's pretty sweet. Like it was, uh, it was a privilege for sure. Nice, nice. So when you were doing the travel, uh, who did you book the travel through? Was it by chance like global business travel? No. American so it Express was, or? it was called Anthony Travel. Yep. Okay. And they actually okay. they lead. Um, they're the leading company that does all Division One uh, collegiate travel. So they do it for, gosh, eighty plus teams okay. that I can recall: yep. SEC, Big Twelve, Pac twelve, Mountain West. Um, so very prestigious company, and then Air Force yeah. contracted them out a few years ago, and uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, my time at Amex, um, that was one of my things I was trying to get get them to crack through on was getting the cards into the NCAA with schools because I knew how much they traveled, right? So that did you was have like... to? Did you do that? Like, would you target the schools directly, or would you target companies like Anthony and other the schools other directly companies? because? The schools directly because in that setup, Anthony's would have been a competitor to American Express Global Business Travel. 
right? So oh, okay. we would use global business travel with corporations, and then they would book their employees' flights and hotels and stuff through our global business travel portal. So in that scenario, there wouldn't be there's no need for Anthony's. Did you guys did you guys do a lot of collegiate travel? No, not an Amer- no, not American Express as far as like not for really. example, Colorado State holding a card. You know what I mean? Yeah. They they really didn't, but it's a, it's an opportunity for sure. Nice. That's cool. So, I didn't know that. Um yep, yep. Uh so yeah, so let's jump into this 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 market uh situation. So, you know, obviously, you know, we've been talking about it a good amount and it's just really trying to pro- provide information for um possible buyers, possible sellers. You know, people that are interested, want to get a better idea of what's going on uh, compared to just, you know, what you see in the headlines and things like that. Right. Um, it's very easy to see a headline that says foreclosures jump 13 percent. Right. And it's then the question is that most people want to ask is, well, 13 percent from where? Yeah. If it was that zero, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a it's yeah. a very, very small number. Yep. Um, well, and same I think thing with price drops, you know, prices have dropped twenty five percent. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, totally. And I was just going to touch on that too. Like that's been a challenge for us. Is you know, everyone gets their news from somewhere, whether that's a credible source or it's their brother's uncle's sister. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, and that's the problem. Is like we're trying to crack into this and just share like the data that we're that we're actually seeing. And a lot of times there's some misconceptions around those. Um, so same thing when it talks about demand or what we can expect this year, why buyers should wait. Well, that might not necessarily be the case. It's just, it's case by case, right? It depends on what their situation is, what they can afford, where it is they're trying to move to because other areas are doing better than others. Yep, exactly, exactly. So, you know, we're looking at that and this is obviously right. It's our expert advice from what we see what we know what we're dealing with every day but it's still an opinion because it's going to change from agent to agent depending on which direction they're looking at what the goal is or things like that so i know a big thing for me i just try to give you guys the honest perspective whether i like it or not it you know what's going on is what's going on um because we want buyers and sellers to be in the best possible situation at the end of the day um, so kind of with that, we'll, we'll start with the market, right? Holistically. I feel like we're kind of in this transitional period and I'm Jacob, I'm sure you're seeing it too, where we're really moving from an environment that personally I would have considered a buyer's environment. Um, it was high rate. I'm not discounting that whatsoever. However, with that high rate was the opportunity for negotiating and making things happen. You know what I mean? So being able to go look at a home and essentially low inventory, even fewer buyers put the market in a scenario where things came to a crawling halt. Right. So having that ability to say, okay, I want to buy your home. Your home has been on the market for 70 plus days. Let's talk about how we can make this happen. Um, And, and, Part of that, which you guys would see in the headline is, oh, prices are holding steady. They're not dropping, things like that, right? So for me, it was like, well, we got to take that with a grain of salt because what the consumer doesn't see on the back end is the amount of something that the seller gave up to the buyer, 
to get to the closing table. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and so for us, that was concessions. What? So uh, when you look at oh, you got a delay. Yeah, hold on. It's telling me something weird. Okay. Uh, no, you're good. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so what concessions, right? So what I what I'm able to see on the back end is that a house sold for asking price, but the seller gave the buyer twenty thousand dollars in concessions. Yep. So and, and the seller concessions the buyer. can be a variety of things, whether that helps with upgrade costs, you know, covering costs at the closing table. There's a lot of things that seller concessions allow the buyer to use that for. Um, yep. And the, it does put the buyer in a good position where they can negotiate price, but they can also get a lot of help from the seller, you know, to put that price, put whatever it is, a few thousand dollars, 50 grand, whatever it is, towards right. something to help the buyer. Right. So the the, the best way to, to put this, and these are realistic situations, right? Whatever the cost of the buy down was, if you apply that $20,000 to the buy down and rates are at 8%, you now went from an 8% interest rate to the closing table, you're at 6% interest rate, which made a difference and made you know people more comfortable, right? So you know that's why I say it was kind of that, to me, a buyer's period. The issue is the buyers weren't coming out to take advantage of that, Yeah. right? No competition. Well, and, and I know, oh, go ahead. I was going to say too, another one that I don't think a lot of buyers understood was what a buy down was and how the, the seller can account for that too. And they basically what a buy down is, is let's say it's a two, one buy down when interest rates are high at like 8%, like they were this fall. If you were to get a two, one buy down, that basically means the first two years you get a discount on that interest rate and the seller covers that difference. So if it was 8%, the first year it would be 6% interest rate seller would cover that second year would be 7%. So you're not really paying that 8% interest rate on your mortgage until the third year. And that's just another way sellers help the buyers in a market like this, where it's slower and they're trying to get that house sold. Right, exactly. And, and, and that didn't even just go for like the resale properties we have. The other telltale, which a consumer really would not have known unless they were working with the agent or they checked themselves is the builders when you start seeing the builders give stuff away they were offering a 30-year fixed interest rate in the fives right well here you are with millions of people saying "Oh, i'm going to wait for the interest rate to drop i'm going to wait for the interest rate to drop well a simple phone call to an agent that was familiar would have told you oh well let's go look at new bills because the rate you're waiting for us to drop to they are currently giving you 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 know think, I mean? Do you so, think buyers or builders do that more towards the end of the year than other times of the year because they're trying to get rid of inventory? It just depends on the market, right? So in 2021, they had no problem selling properties. Everyone was on a wait list. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. they weren't giving away anything. Uh, as soon as we kind of hit the higher rates, we start to see free basements. Then we started to see um, what they call moving ready packages, all appliances, oh, all appliances, meat, um, blind, stuff like that. And then it got to the point where they started paying for the buy downs. Yeah. Right. And now as we transition and we're heading towards spring, what I'm already seeing from the builders is we're seeing price increases. We're seeing that buy down promotion decrease. 
um, we're not seeing the full appliance packages, right? So to me, that's a telltale of where we're going. And that's yeah. really why I say right now, we're in this transitional window as everyone starts to prepare for spring. We've already gotten some indications of rates dropping, things like that. So holistically, yeah. I feel like that's where the market is. So if you're thinking about buying or selling, if I'm a buyer, my advice to the buyer is the sooner the better. If you're going to sell your home, my advice to a seller is March 1st, be ready to go. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Well, in spring and summertime is always when the market ramps up regardless. But with yep. the projections of where the rates are heading, it's going to make it crazy. So whether you're you're going to buy now or wait, I would at least get all your ducks in a row and get pre-approved and start figuring out the areas. Do your market research of the local areas you would like to look at. So that way, when inventory does start to increase, you know exactly what it is that you want, but that you can also afford, if that makes sense. Right. Right. And always affordability and always remember supply and demand. It's yeah. like it's like we all know that. But when it comes to certain items, we forget about supply and demand and we are more focused on the interest rate or, you know what I mean? Something like that. Supply yeah. and demand is the name of the game. So yeah. that, that's where that's where the holistic market update is at, especially here in the Denver metro area, you know, yeah. Parker Highlands Ranch, Centennial Aurora. Well, and it's it's only going to explode from here. I was looking at the <laughs> – have you ever looked at the Castle Rock 2030 plan that they have? I have not. Not for Castle Rock, no. So I was looking at theirs yesterday, and, dude, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, And I'm sure other areas in the Denver area are the same way. But, I mean, by 2030, they're building, you know – with the the thought in mind that it'll eventually get to 90,000 people in population mm. by 2030 yep, I can see and that. then and then a build out population to sustain 130 to 150,000 and essentially a build out is planning your entire uh town with um you know retail and all of these shops parks trails recreation um to sustain up to 130,000 people so that's their goal by um yep 2030 and i don't know like what's the population there now like almost 70 yeah yeah like and 67 actually, something bef bef before we jump into the development to an infrastructure project we got a good amount of people on instagram so first want to say hi thank you for jumping in um obviously you see my tag jacob you want to let them know what your tag is on instagram you know your yeah. website how they may be able to get a hold of you all that fun stuff because a lot of this information too you One, can you can find. reach out to us directly, or you can find like on our websites, yeah. on our social media, on our Facebook also. So you want to go ahead and give out your, your tags and all that fun stuff. Yeah, all that fun stuff. So Instagram tag is Jacob underscore Brummel. I don't know if you guys can see it on there. Um, that and then website is going to be jacobbrummelproperties.com. And there you can find a lot of helpful resources as well. One that I've been finding a lot of great success with that people are loving is the neighborhood news. So you go on there and essentially what that is, is you put in your name, your email and your zip code. And what it does is every month it sends you some, uh, hold on, what, what just happened here? Oh, there we go. It sends you a um, personalized market report for your pocket, your neighborhood, your neck of the woods. So that way you can get a more specialized market report that's not as um, yep. vague. So I recommend nice. going on there. There's a lot of helpful resources 
And uh, obviously you can reach out to John and myself and we're happy to help. Yeah. The, and the easiest way, easiest way to find me, if you just Google uh, John Nichols II real estate, it should populate basically all my sources, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, website. Um, my personal website is buyandsalecoloradohomes.com. Uh, here on Instagram, john.nicholsii.realestate. Um, and then on uh, Facebook, just John Nichols II. So try to make it easy as as the rivals up in Boulder say I'm not hard to find. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so jumping into the development. So you kind of touched on that with, with Castle Rock and a couple of things going on closer to the airport for anyone who's been out to DIA lately have seen the construction. So there's huge infrastructure projects and development projects going on right now out by DIA, which that area is going to be basically Denver and Aurora sharing. You know, they got weird lines and things going on over there, but I could tell you, for example, you know, the painted Perry uh, subdivision has shopping centers coming um, the Aurora Highlands, which is still in their very early stages, are still building out a ton of homes. I mean, they're forecasting that to be a, a miniature city at this point. Uh, they have their commercial going up, so they're going to have the movie theaters, the shopping centers, the grocery stores. And just from doing research, what I can see is out in that area, a majority of the land has already been purchased. So the fact that it's been recently purchased, there's already subdivision plans being approved and starting to break ground. The growth is going to be tremendous out in that area around um, Denver Airport. And anyone that's into investing, understanding that real estate, at the end of the day, it is an investment. Yes, you're buying a, a home. Yes, you're buying comfort and consistency, but it's also an investment um, out there. If, if that's something you're willing to look at, it's in its very early stages. Basically, as Jacob touched on, sounds like Castle Rock is in its super early stages as far as exploding as well. Um, in the Centennial Aurora area around Southlands, there's still growth going on there. So there's a lot, a lot of growth and development really going on right now in Denver and Denver Metro. And we're just seeing a ton of people continue to move in this direction. Yeah, I mean, there's tons. And another one, too. John, I don't know. Have you heard about the Rodeo Dunes development that they're doing out by Denver oh. Airport? <laughs> so they're building abandoned dunes um, in Oregon, those golf courses. Oh, oh okay. So that's, uh, so yes, they're, that's they're building circuit. six. Yes. No, yeah. it's like, I don't think so. It's like I 20. It was closer to... Okay. I know I what think... you're talking about. But yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, I think yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Um, it's going to be like 30 miles or so from DIA, like Northeast, okay. I think. But okay. I mean, this, once that's put in place, those six, um, you know, prestigious resort golf courses, that's going to explode the economy yep. out east by the airport. And I can only imagine, I haven't seen any housing development plans for that area by the courses yet, yep. but I'm certain that they're going to start building some out there as well as some yep. other retail. So if people have the opportunity to get some of those homes now, I mean, they might be looking at it and be like, gosh, that's so far out there. It's so far from everything. Well, today, right? Today, uh, like today, 10 years it, from now, it's going to be a hot spot. No so, question. So I grew up I grew up in California, grew up in Los Angeles. So it's funny where like people are like, oh, that's far out where I'm like, well, in reality, 470 on either side is no more than what, 10 miles, 15 miles from the city center. Yeah. So that's really not a lot when you look at something like Dallas or yeah. Atlanta or LA, like 
So being out east isn't that big. They call it Kansas today. Tomorrow is going to be Denver. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? it, it truly is. Uh, and it's not, you don't even have to deal with the traffic like you do in some of the other big cities yep, like Phoenix, yep. LA, Chicago. So it's it's not that bad. It's all perspective. Yep. So then the development too, obviously we know, I think at this point it's confirmed that Elegis is moving. Ball Arena is redoing that area. Oh, uh, housing, good. shopping. I did it. I wasn't um, a fan of Elegis over there. I'm glad <laughs> so, getting rid of it. So they're, they're working on developing that area. Are they moving so Elegis? They are moving Elegis. I don't think they've nailed down where they're going yet, but from a geographical perspective, there's only one place to go and that's out east. Like, yeah. That's where it's flat. That's where the land is. And, yeah. and let's face it, the the Six Flags here, if you've been to Six Flags in other states, like this one, my personal opinion, don't beat me up, was more like a carnival compared yeah. to like Six Flags Magic Mountain in, in California or in San Antonio. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that hopefully that's the direction that they move in. If they go out east, they'll be able to get the land and truly build the amusement park that, uh, you know, Colorado needs so yeah well and they even talked when the Broncos you know got their new owners and they were talking about potentially doing a new stadium which they might still one day but they talked about one of the sites <laughs> being out east and it just goes to show like they might not be doing that but there's going to be a lot of action out east whether that's so, something like that or or something else so here's my thoughts on, on that right so something don't hold my feet to the fire on this, guys. But something like 80%, 85% of NFL teams are not in the city they're named after, right? So Phoenix Cardinals are actually in, they're in Glendale, right? Um, L.A. Chargers are technically in Inglewood, even though it's L.A. County, right? Well, and the, the um, Niners are in, what, Santa Clara? Santa Clara. The Dallas Cowboys are in Fort Worth, yeah. right? So it's not unheard of and. The newer stadiums, what the owners want is they want the stadium and they also want to own the residential and the entertainment districts that's, around the stadium. And that's the thing right? is the new entertainment districts. Every yep. single place is doing that. So if they were to ever relocate out east, that's a perfect place to build right. as big of a entertainment district as you want. Right. So... Last I heard, they have about six or seven years left on their contract or something with Denver. I would imagine it takes three to four years to actually build a stadium. So I feel like over the next two, two and a half years, we should have a pretty good idea of if the Denver Broncos will stay in Denver or as some joke jokingly about uh, where the Denver Broncos will be the Aurora Broncos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Time will so tell. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. So yeah, there's yeah, a good amount just, going on. Yeah, it just goes to show there's a lot that's going on. And the east side is going to be crazy because that's where the room is for more development, too. There's only so much you can do on the right. current front range by the mountains. So Exactly. Exactly. And our, and our weather is not as cold as people think. The snow doesn't stick around. We've got negatives this week, but the snow doesn't stick around. Yeah, that's true. Yet. And we get the we get the so. sun. What do they say? You get 300 plus days of sunshine in Colorado. Well, you know how they count that, right? Uh, it's like if the sun Yeah, don't they just out, have like, someone like sit sit outside every day and then they track? Well, well, if it's like, I think it's like two hours. If you get sunshine for two hours, it's considered a sunny day here or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, so yeah, so that's really like development and infrastructure. Obviously, there's a lot going on across the board. 
Um, I know and understand, you know, for a lot of people, prices are crazy, but it also comes down to strategy when you're looking at pricing, where you want to purchase. I mean, there's still, and once again, it depends on where you want to live. I mean, price points are as low as 400, 450,000 in some areas. And then obviously we're getting up to five, six, seven million plus, you know, Cherry Hills type yeah. of type of district. So it's, it's all over the board. It's just nailing down what you want, where you want to be and what benefits and such you want to take advantage of. So, yeah. Um, One thing I've been telling people lately, because they're so stuck on, you know, the, the look of the house and what I, what I keep telling people is I'm like, Hey, like lock down the, uh, like the land piece, figure out where you want to be and then lock that down, find a house over there, get it because you can always renovate and make the house look Oh, certain way. You know what I mean? You can redo the kitchen, all these things, but you can't, you can't relocate that house. So you can't pick it up and land is key. Find the land. And then you can always make the house the way you want it down the road. Which we've seen a lot in, you know, Denver, five points just outside of downtown. Yeah. Right. It got to the point where people were buying those homes. Some were dilapidated. And and now you go there and there's like these multi-million dollar mansions on these lots where these little two bedroom houses. Yeah. The the flips are are crazy. (laughs) You go by Wash Park and I swear all those houses are flipped. Wash Parks, Alone Lake. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Nuts. But so. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, go in a little bit, John, about, um, I guess, HOAs. What do HOAs look like <laughs> these days? So I'm a fan of HOAs personally, which I know isn't the popular answer, right? But here's why I'm a fan of HOA. One, I think Colorado in general is doing a better job of trying to manage and control HOAs and put more perimeters around them as far as their accountability and their power. Um, Colorado is a lot is usually the first to the table for a lot of things kind of like that. So we're removing this aspect that HOAs can, you know, put a lien on someone's property for something that's, you know, cutting the grass or something like that. Right. So we're starting to see more control around that. But the the true reason why I'm a fan of HOA is just because like they truly are working to uphold the property value in that given area. Right. So when it comes when it comes to HOA and what they charge and things like that, and talking to clients, my thing is like, what do you get for it, right? And I'm honest with my clients a lot of the times when they're buying. I'm like, hey, this HOA is two hundred and fifty dollars a month. I personally don't see the value in this, so I'm just going to tell you up front, like. There's no swimming pool. There's no clubhouse. Yeah. Um, you know, there doesn't. If you can't really exterior, see where the, the HOA money is exactly, going. Exactly. Right. It's yeah. Right. And we're not afraid to, to share that either. Of Like, hey, this. Right. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> I would look into it a little further. Right. At two, $250 a month, like the exterior should be immaculate with the amount of money. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. That's it's that part of it. Yes, some of them get out of control, but then you get in a community, you know, some of the subdivisions out in our areas where it's $30 a month, $60 a month, and you got a swimming pool or two, maybe a fitness room, a clubhouse you can rent out. There's a handful of parks that are being make, maintained, things like that, right? As well as holding us and our neighbors accountable. If somebody's house needs to be repainted, like they're going to get the letter, they have to repaint. Let's face it, you don't want. Yeah. If you decide to sell your home, you don't want the home across the street falling apart. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, so, and and if you go to older neighborhoods in Colorado, that's when you'll start to see the the blue homes, the yellow homes, the pink homes, because there's no <laughs> there's no HOAs, and that's also where like building codes come into place. Is like it's to help create like a unified look to help sustain that property value, not just for your house, but the one next to you. Because I don't know if a lot of people realize the impact that their neighbor's home can have on their value if they're trying to sell. So HOAs and building codes and those types of ordinances really do help. People don't even understand that. But (laughs) it's like if you had a house next to you and it was all run down, no one ever took care of the yard and it was, you know, blue and gutters were hanging off. There's no HOA to stop them. They can do what they want. But if someone's looking to buy your house, why would they want to move right next to someone like that? They might. Um, but that's that's something I feel like a lot of people don't understand, yeah. like with HOAs. And yep. uh, yeah, so you're not going to see that. And I actually saw this uh, this stat where it's 46% or 47, I guess, percent of Colorado residents are subject to an HOA, while 53 don't have an HOA. And that's going to be a lot of in those older neighborhoods that you'll find. A lot of the new developments typically have an HOA to keep that unified look. Yep. And I, and I think the new, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The new Darth Vader, the new villain is the Metro District. So I'd be interested to see kind of how that goes, which direction that moves in. So technically it's an HOA, but now they have a different term, whether it be a cab or something like that. So these newer divisions are go, or, uh, subdivisions are going up. Yes, we're seeing higher taxes and it's because they have to build out the infrastructure. Um, but what we're being told is, you know, the higher taxes are temporary. Once the infrastructure and the projects are done, then, you know, it should level out. The challenge with that is some of these projects, Aurora Highland is a 30 year project from start to finish. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to take a while. And, and imagine being the first buyer in that subdivision. When they finish, your home is paid for. And now all the houses are at their peak for value. You know what I mean? So like yeah. that part comes with it too. But um, yeah. so yeah, we'll see what happens with menstrual districts and, and things like that as we, as we move forward, things to look for. Yeah, I agree. Um, which one um, talk about next? So I got um, other big topic that we hear a lot about inventory. So what we want to touch on a little bit is like inventory rolled into like the amount of time homes are on the market and, you know, it kind of rose into the market condition. So we're kind of keeping that trend. Yeah. Where- and, and real quick, um, in case no one knows what inventory is, it would basically be if no new homes were brought into the market, how long would it take for the current uh, supply of homes to be sold? That's, yep. what, that's yep. what that means. Yep. And pre-COVID, typically we would want somewhere between like four and seven months of inventory that would be like considered yeah balanced balanced market normal right yes yeah anything Uh, less than that would be seller's market considered and then beyond that would be a buyer's market correct so there i'm gonna say this there's no normal like we we might as well forget it like the new normal is being developed every day every month in this industry um and the the analogy I like to use is we all know when you buy Skittles that it's the rainbow, right? So there's yeah. every you know color what you're in a bag of Skittles. Yeah, You know what you're getting. 
All it takes is for one person one time to open a bag of Skittles and they're all red, right? So then what are they going to expect the next time they open a bag of Skittles? They're going to be looking for all red. All red. Yeah. Right? So I kind of use that to say that COVID era for interest rates, right? How crazy it got was the red bag of Skittles. You know what I mean? So the 2008 crash and the way things crashed was the red bag of Skittles, right? And I say that to say we have buyers waiting for those interest rates again. We have buyers waiting for that market crash again. Well, the two of those things will never happen and they're not going to happen together. I yeah. can guarantee you that. Well, <laughs> so, and, and that was, it truly was unheard of because like the 20 year average is around six, 7%. Correct. It just is literally where we're at right now. But the problem is people are comparing it to what we saw post COVID. And that was like you said, it's unheard of and it's not going to get to that point again. And honestly, I feel like it's a good thing that it's not because if it does, it's back to those bidding wars where like you're getting 10, 12 offers on a home and then the highest cash offer is going to win. It's so hard to buy in that market. And I don't, I don't think people realize that they don't want to go back down that road. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that's what we're looking at. So inventory holistically right now, even in this slow, slow, slower market, which fall and winter is across the board, um, we only have two months of inventory. So why is that important? Well, if I'm a buyer and I've been waiting, I didn't do anything in fall because the rates were too high. I didn't do anything in winter because the rates were just coming down. I'm going to wait till spring. How many buyers have that same thought process with two months of inventory left? So basically... As a buyer, hypothetically, let's say you wake up Monday morning and the rates are at 5%. You haven't spoken to a real estate agent. You haven't got your pre-qualified letter. You know, you don't know what your affordability mark is. You're behind the curve. By the time you get those things in line at 5% with the amount of inventory we have, there's not going to be any houses <laughs> for no. you to look at the following week. There, right. there won't. I actually, I just had a buyer a couple of weeks ago hit me up and he was like, hey, when rates hit 5%, like, let's get a home. And I was like, okay, like we can do that. But how many other people do you think are saying the same thing? It's not going right. to, you're not going to have as much freedom and weight in your buying process at 5% as you do now, because thousands of other buyers are thinking the same exact thing. Right. So one way to beat that, and I'm, and that works still kind of behind the ball because you could have done this back in early fall. One way to beat that right now, the rates, I think last I checked was like 6.7%. I don't know if you have it in front of you, but right. So we go find you a home. The rates are 6.7%. We we're the only offer. This house has been on the market for 90 plus days. We're going to submit that offer asking for a concession in the amount to get you say a 2% permanent buy down. So with a permanent buy down, you don't have to worry about refinancing. So a 2% drop from 6.7 would be what? 5.7, 4.7. Your interest rate is now at 4.7 paid for by the seller, right? So I think that's that's what gets overlooked. So when it comes to inventory, the amount of t- homes on the market currently, like Yes, there's fewer buyers, so it looks like you have options. But the minute the rates get to a spot where the general public is satisfied, everyone comes running back, that amount of inventory is 
gone. Home prices are going to increase. And we very likely could end up in a scenario we were before because we're not going to have the amount of homes we pre-COVID had come into the market on a regular basis simply because something like 90% of people, homeowners refinanced in that 2020, 2021, 2022 window. And they're sitting at, I mean, there's a potential of a property, you know, I may have where there's an assumable loan at 2.5%, right? And the only yeah. reason this person is selling is because they got a promotion and, you know, they're living in a different state and they need to get rid of the house, right? Um, so the average consumer likely is not going to sell unless something is forcing them to sell. And they're going to try to hold on to this home. So even the person that has the loan of 2.5% that we're looking at possibly selling soon, um, he tried to hold on to it for as long as he can. And then finally he's like, look, I got to buy something where I'm at. So I got to get rid of it. So that's the other thing. If you if you want to interest rate in the 2.5s or something like that, look for an assumable loan. Um, those are fun. You want to <laughs> dive into those real quick? Just touch on yeah. An so basically, loan. basically, what an assumable loan is, if you're a buyer and you qualify, the current home loan, so the remaining balance and the interest rate, so in this case, it's two point five, can be transferred to the new buyer, right? Now the catch is, it's the remaining balance. So if they lived in this home, say for fifteen years you would have to come up with a cash or a second loan or something like that to cover the other portion of that balance, right? In my particular scenario, the assumable loan is going to cover something like 85 to 90% of what you're going to pay for the home. So it's a really good deal, you know, for the right buyer. So that's an opportunity where, you're, yes, you'll be able to get a 2.5%, but outside of that, like, <laughs> like good luck. So and again, it plays into inventory. Sure. This house comes to the market. I'm forecasting that it's it's going to be gone immediately, especially if someone qualifies for that assumable loan rate at 2.5. Yeah. You know, so we're going to see homes come and go a lot faster uh, as we approach spring. Yeah. Yep. So um, days on market, you know, we've seen that increase over the past couple of months. It's already starting to go down. Um Homes at the right price point with the right finishes and the right location are already receiving multiple offers, <laughs> right? And when I say multiple, I mean between the five and 10 number at this point in this current environment. So we're, yeah. we're, we're well, slowly they, transitioning. They just said in the office yesterday, what was it? They The one agent had six offers on a home. Yep. Her and her buyer put one in and they missed out because there were five additional offers, three of which I think were cash offers. Yep. Um, and then a cash offer well over asking. Yeah. And and they yep. even offered above asking. Her buyer yep. did. And so it just goes to show like we are probably in the slowest time of the year and we're still getting those kinds of offers, which is just if that's any tell of what's to come, um, I would say act act sooner rather than later. Yep. Yep, definitely. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's the gist of it. I do, it looks like we do have a handful on Instagram. So I didn't see... Any questions come across? I don't know if you've seen, but if you're on Instagram nope. and you have a question, you can go ahead, throw it out there and we can see, you know, maybe what we can do to get it answered. But I think, uh, 
unless you got something else to cover. I don't think there's really too much. No, more I feel like we, just... we touched on quite a bit. Yep. Dude, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um, like you said, we really just want to get information out there to people. Yeah. Um, it's not about forcing people to buy or sell. That's not the name of the game. That's not the direction we no. move in. It's really about education, providing the education so you can make the best decision for mm -hmm. you and your family. All we can do is just give the information we have access to. Well, right? and that's, yeah. And that's what I'm finding too, is a lot of people are like, I feel like they almost think we're out to like try and convince them of something. We're not. Our job is to like be an advocate. Right. And we, we dove into this business because there is so much success families can have from, from owning real estate. And so it's just, that's all our job is to advocate and to advise, but we don't, we don't make the decisions and we're not here to tell you to buy or sell. What's the, we don't know what the right thing to do is for you guys. It's just, we're here to help you guide and figure out, what that plan might be, but ultimately you make the, you call the shots. Right. And every situation is different. And I, and I do, I will say this. So I'm a bit, bit component, obviously, you know, playing football and sports and things like that, like having the right team around you. And I think both buyers and sellers get lost in, um, lose out, I should say on benefits and value when they don't do the work and you have to do some work as a buyer or seller to find the right team. I think often we go for the easiest option and the easiest option may not be the best option. And what I mean by that is a, a realtor that supports your needs, their goals match, you know, what you're trying to do, their ex your expectations and their expectations aligned. If they say they're full service, their full service thought aligns with what you think is full service, right? That a uh, realtor, real estate agent also needs a lender that's going to go to bat for you, right? They need an inspector that's going to go to bat for you. Like everybody in that collective on that team, in my opinion, have to be on the same page to create the smoothest transaction to make the process as easy as possible for you and to ensure that across the board, you're making the right decision. And I say that to say, um, you know, I had a house on the market. We went under contract for the second time and I'm just like communicating with the agent. I'm like, something's a little off here. Like the agent's communication with their buyer, to me, it just wasn't the right fit. Um, about two and a half weeks into the process, you know, I call up the agent. I'm like, hey, we haven't done our, you guys haven't done the appraisal yet. Where are we with this process? Right. And the response was, oh, the lender is waiting for some approval, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But to give you guys an idea, for me, with my buyers, in a matter of about a week, I know if my buyers qualify for a home. Actually, before they even start looking, I know that they qualify for what we're looking for, and there's not going to be any major hurdles. So in this scenario, there were some major hurdles that I feel like the agent or the lender didn't dig into before they started taking this buyer out to look, right? So long story short, not having the right team put this buyer in a situation where they could have lost their earnest money if my seller really wanted to stick to the guns about it. And we're talking about $7,000, right? Um, basically, the deal fell through because the buyer couldn't qualify. Buyer couldn't qualify because there were these underlying issues that weren't dove into or completely understood prior to them starting their process, right? So 
just make sure you have the right team. Make sure you have a group around you that's that's in it for you. Yeah. Yeah. And not every agent in their team is going to be the right fit for you too. So it's different for everyone. And that's like he said, it's big to know that you not only are partnering with an agent that has your best interest in mind, but that that agent also has a good marketing team, lender, inspector, all of those pieces that are needed to make a transaction successful and smooth. So yeah, just something to look for when you begin your search. Yes, for sure. Cool. Well, any last, any last thoughts or concerns before I let you go? Uh, that's it. Just, you know, want to thank everybody for jumping on. Uh, feel free to follow us. You guys want more information, reach out. Um, you know, don't wait. There's no silly questions. We're going to do what we can to answer all the questions. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. If you just Google John Nichols, the second, um, it'll take you to where you want to go and whatever your preferred method of contact is. Yes, sir. Cool. John, appreciate you. All right. I will uh, talk all to right. you soon. All right. With that, go Rams. Have a great one. See ya.